And we are live. Good to see you today, my EOS podcast friends. Today, we are talking about NFTs. There's some uh, cool new information here that uh, Bodon and Roman are going to tell us from Crypto Lions and a big uh, thought to put out to the community. So we're going to talk about non-fungible tokens, digital assets, and what owner that ownership authority really means for digital assets. So uh, as we move forward, this is important for everyone to know about. Uh, welcome to the EOS podcast. This is the home of the Mr. Happy Money proxy as well. So um, welcome to the show, Bodon, and welcome to the show, Roman. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hello, uh, I'm founder of CryptoLions. Here is my friend and co-founder, Roman. And yeah, today we'll talk about non-fungible tokens and simple assets. All right. Uh, I think Bogdan is a genius. The community hears more often from me because I'm a native speaker. But what we will talk about today, digital assets, that's been all his passion. He, it seems like we, he fell in love with the idea and through him I fell in love with the idea and we built a non-fungible token standard. When we started working on it, we thought it was the non-fungible token standard, but we've learned about a couple other players in the course of these two months. But regardless of which standard people like, I think there's an important concept for the community, and we really want your help getting it out there. Uh, we think we need a little philosophical discussion. Yeah, this is this is a really cool um, discussion. You uh, you just wrote a paper about it as well on Medium, so we'll put the link to the to the digital assets paper in Medium as well. Um, but I, I hadn't really thought this deeply about it until I read your paper, and it is a, a big idea. So um, why don't you tell us who the digital asset uh, players are, who's who's created these uh, non fungible token standards so far, and then what the kind of base idea is. Well, there is us where we built simple assets, free, open source, awesome. Uh, after we started working on simple assets, after we had a working prototype, we learned about D goods from mythical games. We think mythical games are, we think they're awesome. We think they're going to bring a lot of new people to the EOS ecosystem. Uh, it turns out we have sort of rival standards now, but it'll be fine. Uh, ITAM, uh, great Korean game developers, they put out their ITAM standard. And there's a project called Unico EOS. And okay. that's the fourth one, the fourth one that I'm aware of. And I think it's great. I think it's very early. And now is the time for sort of experimentation for trying different things. And in the end, the developers will decide. Yeah, <clears throat> so the DGood standard and the um, ITAM standard I'm familiar with, I've talked to them about that. Uh, who's Unico EOS involved? Are they involved with the project or are they just building the, uh, the standard um, standalone? Uh, I know about them through, uh, through Telegram and through their GitHub. It seems like this is their only focus, but I don't know if it's connected to a bigger business plan or not. Okay. Okay. Um, so you split the digital assets. I think in a, an easy way to explain it, you have split it into four levels of digital assets. So talking about um, the most basic level to where we're going with digital assets. So you want to step through that kind of to, to give people a base of, of what we're going to talk about here. Yeah, well, this is just sort of trying to figure out what digital assets are. I mean, it was hard enough to figure out what cryptocurrencies are. Uh, it still is. So it's really early in the life of digital assets. And 
I put out what I think what I think is just a way to look at it. Like when I was playing Doom 2 as an adolescent, the chainsaw was kind of like a digital asset. It was a it was a definite object. I had control of it. I decided how it was used. Granted, that was within the confines of the game, but that was that a digital asset? Probably the next step up is when you start trading those digital assets on third-party exchanges. This was also non-blockchain functionality. For example, skins, a famous marketplace, OP skins. You traded video game skins. It was a huge, huge market. And in fact, I think our very own Brendan Bloomer and Brock Pierce were involved in that. Um, and no, no crypto there, just objects from video games existing outside the video game in a market. Okay, so then, then we get blockchain. The simplest way for a digital asset to be expressed on blockchain is the way that it's expressed in the lovely little game EOS Knights. Uh, transactions of items inside of EOS Knights are transactions on the blockchain. So you can sort of verify authority. You can see a history of what happened and that history exists outside the game. All right, but they're not like, they're not like discrete chunks of digital information that transfer control. They're, it's all within the game logic. It just pushes sort of transactions onto the blockchain to verify it. All right, the next step is that you do have these discrete chunks of digital information, uh, and they're, they're sort of a protocol, so you could send these chunks, you could send these chunks to a marketplace, and, and they're on the blockchain, and we're looking really strong here. It's already blockchain stuff. But here's what the community needs to know, like, it, because it's blockchain, there may be this misconception that the ownership of this digital chunk is sort of as strong as your ownership of a Bitcoin or of an EOS token. And that's not the case at all, because the person who issues these chunks can update their contract and change whatever they want and do all kinds of stuff uh, if they were malicious or if they were just converging incentives, economic incentives. Uh, there are games that have been criticized like Red Dead Redemption for messing with the game economics and, and they upset a bunch of players like that. So there are these converging interests. So I think there's one more step that the community needs to be aware of and these are different expressions of what I would like to call ownership authority. If you deploy the game that issues assets and you deploy the logic that issues assets, you can do whatever you want and, and ownership of that assets is not as strong as ownership of EOS or Bitcoin. The, the way to do it, and I think that's fine for a lot of use cases, I'm not against that, but there is a sort of a stronger implementation and that is having the asset contract exist independently of the game, have the asset contract only updatable by a group of responsible parties through a multisig, and then games appeal to this external contract to, to deploy their assets. I can state that again more briefly. We think that at the highest level, a digital asset is like a promise. It is a promise from the people creating the asset to the first owner and to all the possible future owners. It is a promise that you guys, you owners will decide control and I will only update the asset in this little part of the asset that I designated as updatable. That's the essential promise that a digital asset should be in its highest expression. Okay, yeah, that's, uh, so 
when it comes down to it, we don't, we're not quite there with that highest promise yet, but we're, we're at this influx point where we're hoping to, to make that happen. Um, so let's give people a real clear understanding of it and let's, let's kind of step through each of those four steps and, and spend just a moment on each step to give people a clear idea of the different levels we're talking about and kind of so we can get to this, what this final promise is or what we need to be thinking about philosophically as we move forward. So you said level one is like a doom gun. So basically it's just a, a chunk of digital information where people control it inside the game. So this is what we've had historically, right? With people owning skins and people owning weapons and, and things of that nature within games. Um, what the what we're hoping here is that blockchain steps in and gives people actual ownership so that if the game, per, the, uh, the, co the uh, developers come in and change the code, that you don't lose your digital assets. And I guess you, you mentioned Red Dead Redemption had some, um, had some problems with this. Is, is, what else do you have a, to add on? I mean, is that a pretty good description of what level one digital assets are, what we know, and what we know now? Yeah, I think the skins is kind of one and a half. And okay. Maybe I should go, go edit that. Because you know, level one is no blockchain confined to the game. One and a half is like, no blockchain, but there's some agreed upon protocol, so you could sell your stuff in a third party marketplace. Uh, okay, so we do, yeah, so we, so we kind of, before blockchain came along, we've kind of gotten to level 1.5 with like a Steam marketplace where people are trading skins outside. Yep. Okay, um, and then we've got level two, which is the ownership is verified on the blockchain. So this would be, uh, you mentioned EOS Knights. So we've got objects that are verified, that can be traded, that are verified on the blockchain. Yep. Have we, are there any other examples of kind of level two uh, blockchain games that we're seeing right now as far as ownership goes? Uh, I wouldn't say game. Well, I'm sure there are. I don't know of any games, but the, um, uh, all, the, all the sort of logistics cryptocurrencies that trace logistics, uh, all they do is push hashes or push confirmations to the blockchain. So that's kind of the same thing, like VE chain or Walton chain. Mm -hmm. So it's a chunk of, it's basically a chunk of digital information that you own, which is going back to that, that level one that's being pushed on. A, okay, and then level three, the controls adhere to a broadly accepted protocol so digital objects can be sent to third-party market. So this is, this is where we're at right now. This is what DGoods, ICAM, uh, Unico, Simple Assets are all trying to make this broadly accepted protocol so that, um, that we, can, we can have a marketplace where stuff's exchanged. Um, and that's, right. Okay. right, and just so, so users understand at this level, what a developer does is they take a copy of the code, deploy it themselves, and then work from there. Okay, so each, um, so each developer is gonna have a copy of the code they're working from. Um, and, and this is in DGoods, ITAM, Unico EO, Simple Assets, each of, each of these teams is developing their own, um, their own chunk of code, basically, and hoping that it becomes a larger standard. Um, I talk, you know, I talked to I, ITAM about this, um, and there's still some, the, I asked them, why are you, basically asked, why are you developing your own set of codes when things like D-Goods and Simple Assets are already out there? Um, they mentioned a difference between um, NFTs and SFTs, I believe, or semi-fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens. Um, and, and they, there was kind of, they had different ideas of how to move forward right there. Did you have any ideas on 
the difference between NFTs and SFTs and, and why one game would use those and not? Uh, we decided not to deploy SFTs. Those are semi-fungible tokens. Mm -hmm. uh, we think it's a trade-off between a lot of convoluted logic and saving on RAM a little bit or economizing RAM. It might be a scale issue. Mm -hmm. So we think that creative use of, of uh, NFTs and fungible tokens, non-fungible and fungible, uh, solves all the use cases or almost all of the use cases and semi-fungible tokens are not necessary. We don't know. It's early enough that this is a worthwhile experiment. So hats off to D-Goods for pursuing it. That's the SFT thing. I, uh, yeah, I think, I, I think ITAM has a limited use case. You know, they need to, they're a business, man. Like, you know, you need to, you need to make money. So if you want to have, like, it's fine if you want to have your own in-game marketplace and let's say restrict, restrict other marketplaces from trading your stuff. I'm not sure that's what they're doing, but that's something that would be very hard for simple assets because with simple assets, ownership is outside of your control, man. So once you give your asset to somebody, like it's, it's theirs. They can trade it all they want. They could trade it for, they could trade it for EOS, for Bitcoin, for a ham sandwich. Like it is, it is theirs. Or just burn. Or just burn it. Mm -hmm. So, so like a lot of businesses, a lot of game companies that are like really, really have a, a very specific business model in mind, they may want a whitelist. So for those kind of companies, it's better for them to take a copy of one of these standards, say level three is enough because we want to, we want to restrict ownership and just put it there. Okay. So this, that's a good segue into to level four. This is where we're at right now is making this decision basically. And, and level four you have as ownership and functionalities is expressed entirely outside the control of the content creator. So uh, talk a little bit about what, what exactly that means, why there's this difference between level four and level three, because this is where we're at now. Well, I'm, I'm worried that there's a misconception in the community that they think a digital asset issued by a self-deployed contract is as strong as a Bitcoin or an EOS token. And it's not, you can, the, the issuer can update their contract and do whatever, whatever they want with the asset pretty much. Okay. If, so, if, yeah. That, I mean, I mean, so essentially we're, it's almost as the same as, as, as level one. There's a, there's a misconception that blockchain is, is making this something different than level one digital assets where uh, whoever pushed the code, yeah, that code's there until someone decides that they, they want to go change it. Either maliciously, they could go in and say, or not even maliciously, maybe the company changes directions and they want, they need to change the code of the game to make it keep working but uh, that entails changing people's digital assets or maybe the company goes out of business and they don't have exactly. RAM. They don't have, you know, that's a that's a more likely and less malicious. So we can use that. They go out of business. They don't have RAM anymore. And now your digital asset changes or isn't supported. Um, that's yeah, that that's exactly it. So, uh, so the alternative is to rely on a contract that's deployed externally. So, you know, we'll support both. You could take simple assets and deploy it as a couple of teams are already doing, or you can call our deployment of simple assets and the updates to our deployment will be filtered by a multi-sig. EOS 42 will be part of the team. We're figuring out who else is going to be part of the team and they're going to screen updates so nothing malicious will happen. 
Okay. Um, if there, so let's say the there is a, a multi-sig and, well, how many teams would be a, a part of that multi-sig? I was kind of hoping to ask you that question. What's the right number? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's because do we, do we run into the same, do we run into the same issue, but it's just less chance of it happening. If let's say there's, let's say there's three teams controlling the code or, or a multi-sig wallet, do we still run into the same conundrum of there's still this chance to, to change or update the code? Uh, yeah. I mean, the question is decentralized enough. You know, it's the same question of is 21 block producers the right, the correct number. Mm -hmm. So, so same thing. We, we think we don't need 21 to update this contract code, but we're thinking somewhere, somewhere in the range of like three to 11, which is a pretty broad range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it, in that, it seems like that could change over time too, because you say we start with three, that makes it, that makes a ton of sense now because there's not a, there's not a lot riding on it, let's say. But uh, let's look down the road, let five, 10 years. And if, if simple assets were, a, um, were essentially were adopted with a lot of video games and all of a sudden, uh, maybe let's, let's think that all of the money for video games was, was kind of flowing through or all the NFTs were within simple assets. Now all of a sudden this could be a billion dollar uh, asset or a billion dollar, you know, it could be, a very valuable uh, chunk of code there. So then maybe, maybe three block producers isn't enough. Maybe then as it increases, uh, you need to add more and more block producers to, to yep. keep it. Um, yeah. So what, what's your, what's your idea of going down the road and, and how that, that, that looks? Uh, well, it is pretty much what you said. We're going to curate it ourselves uh, due to the request of a game. And I'm not going to say which one, but you may have heard of it. Uh, we're deploying really soon, uh, like next week or the following week. Nice. Uh, so it's going to be a long weekend <laughs> uh, just to test everything. Uh, so and we'll, we'll curate it into existence ourselves. Uh, we'll sort of gauge interest because the community is still figuring out what to do and we'll we'll grow from there 42 will probably be our first partner and we're, we're talking to several others and we do not yet know the correct number would love to hear from the community So I'll, I'll certainly check out all the comments below this video Yeah, I'm I'm interested to hear too. I mean, I think that just the idea of I think the idea of starting with with this end goal in mind where you want it to be um, on basically a multi-sig wallet that grows over time so that there's there's um so that the incentives are aligned um the do you think the vram or um the 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 vram solution or maybe excuse me sorry i'm having a brain fart here but um block producers uh using sorry what's the vram platform again can you remind me of that Liquid dApps? Yeah, because you think Liquid dApps comes into place here where some teams of, of service providers may come, come together and provide, this may be one of the services that service providers um, do? Mm, it's hard to see that. Uh, we're, we're fans of the, the work with VRAM, but this is, this is just another contract like, uh, like the EOSIL token contract. It's mm -hmm. just another contract. It doesn't use its own memory. You just interact with it to allocate memory between you and the person receiving 
the asset. So if there's like, if there's sort of like a, a on high future for simple assets, it is becoming a system contract. Okay. So that's, that's kind of the big picture down the road as it becomes a yeah, system contract. It's not, it's not resource intensive. So I'm not sure it's a match for, for the liquid dApps project. It's just functionality. The simple assets do not use RAM. The RAM use the authors who create the, uh, the assets. Uh, yeah. Okay. Or, yeah, yeah, the, the users. Um, you know, on the, on the philosophical end here, you uh, had some other ideas uh, because you uh, had the idea that maybe there's no game. And so if this code is living outside of the, you know, outside of some control and it's controlled by a multi-sig wallet, and let's say there's 15 block producers at some time and this is a huge, you know, everyone's using the simple assets standard. Uh, there's this ability for people to create assets just with no game involved. What, what's your thought on that? It already started in the jungle. People were creating, creating assets and, uh, and sending them back and forth as jokes. <laughs> no kidding. Okay. Yeah. So, so it started. Uh, yeah, I think, all right. So th there are some counter arguments to why you need an external authority like one of those counter arguments is sort of like, what's the point if this object only works in my game and I, as the game creator want to be malicious, like the asset will be broken anyway. But I think there's, there's a really interesting future, which none of us can fully anticipate. And like that could be items shared between games or even the, the sort of authority to update an asset is shared between games or the assets can live on if a game goes out of business. Or, and yeah, one of them is just playing with the, with the asset functionality. Like we, we, we already have examples in our GitHub how anyone right now can create an asset in Jungle and just make it look cool. We have different, we have functionality. This is, this is kind of cool. We just released this today. Functionality where you could put assets inside of assets. So you could have an asset box of asset flower pots of asset flowers. And like you could just send that stuff back and forth and like arrange the flowers differently. And this doesn't require any game. It's just like, it's just manipulating these objects. And it's this kind of stuff that really sort of made us fall in love with this project. It just, it just triggers so many imaginative possibilities. Flower arranging. You could have a flower arranging game without any game, just using the simple asset code. Yeah, you know, that is, it starts to blur this line, which is, which is always th fun to think about, but this line between, you know, technology within, like the, the line between human interaction and technology, when the lines start to disappear and we start to be able to use um, technology within computers the same as we do outside. So in the same way that I could um, create some, my own digital, my own assets I can create here, I can go grab a flower pot, put some dirt in it, put a flower in it, and then go give it to a friend. Uh, in the same way, now you can start to do these things within um, the blockchain, which is really cool. I mean, yeah, the, the, it does become this unlimited uh, uh, ability to interact, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean that everything's worth something, but just the ability to, uh, to trade it around is, is, could open up so many doors. Yeah, exactly. Like somebody created a, a sandal today. <laughs> a sandal. And uh, 
it's not worth anything, but we got a good laugh. Like uh -huh. Bogdan called me over to his computer and we just laughed. And they sent this asset with a sandal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's funny. And then, and then, but then there could be these ones that for some reason someone hits on the perfect chord and they create something unique that does have value just, um, you know, out of nowhere in the same way that uh, in, in life we could create the perfect piece of art and all of a sudden you made the Mona Lisa and uh, it's very, it's, it's very valuable out of nowhere. Um, so do you think, I, w I wonder what kind of, that's just kind of a fun thought experiment. I wonder what kind of things people might create that actually do have value out of thin air. Yeah, there, there was an interesting article, I forget where, about the art marketplaces that right now still are, exist on Ethereum and are being built on EOS. Um, and there were artists coming down on both sides. Like some say that you could just copy it. It's just this uh, expression of ownership that you can't copy, but that expression is worthless because you could just copy the graphic. Um, others, others found it meaningful. Um, and, and we don't know, like, we don't, we don't want to own the space. We just want to make this tool. It is free. Anybody can build a marketplace and try to profit from a marketplace. Anybody can build this front end to the, for the creation and trading of art. You know, we, we as, you know, block producers are just trying to create value for the community and grow the community. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good. You got, you guys are always building things for the community and not trying to, uh, you know, have some sort of control over it to monetize it, uh, and, and control it. So that, I love that. Um, yeah, on the idea of, of art and whether, because you can copy it, whether it has value or not, uh, I think that humans have, have proven that they, that they care where an object comes from, even if it's the same. I mean, you, you just have to look as far as, as sporting memorabilia and, you know, there's, yes. thousands, there's thousands of baseballs out there, but that one baseball that this one guy hit during one game, you know, that someone yes. caught, that, that, that's got so much more meaning. So, very good. Very good example. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I think that it's in, entirely possible that uh, people could create, you know, maybe that sandal, maybe that sandal is, is one of the first simple assets, you know, is, has some interesting value to some, someone someday and they'll give you, you know, 10 EOS for it because it was one of the first, you know, simple assets traded on the you know, platform. You know, you never know. You never know. People are, people are sentimental and funny that way. So, yep. yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned something about um, the, if, if a, if a team wanted to be malicious and they, and they broke the code on their end that it could still, uh, kind of break the break a break an asset. Would that just be on within that game? That asset that asset would still survive on the blockchain. It just wouldn't have somewhere to live. Is that the thought there? How would how could they still break it? All right. Well, let's talk about both possibilities. Uh, let's talk about when when you self deploy and when you appeal to an external ownership authority. Okay. Okay. So if you self deploy you know, a lot of the asset is probably living on your servers or is, uh, is the, the actions of that asset live in a contract that you deployed to the mainnet so you're paying for it for RAM. So if you go out of business, sell all your RAM, shut down your servers, the asset's gone. Other example, external authority, uh, the game shuts down the asset still exists, okay? Nobody can modify the little, if it's simple assets. No, could, in my, my prediction is that we'll all do this. D-Goods will continue to flatter us by copying us. 
uh, ITAM will do this, uh, Unico will do this, we'll all have external deployments and will all also be deployable internally, okay? So external deployment, the game shuts down. Uh, okay, so you can no longer modify the little chunk of the asset that's, that was designated for you to be able to modify, the rest of it will, it will live on. What does that mean? I don't know, maybe it means nothing and maybe there's no difference and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there will be a tribute game in the future to this old game that went out of business and they'll import all the old assets. They just need to keep track of who owns them. So, so there you have it, that's the difference. We can't hear you. We can hear you. Oh, sorry about that. So let's say someone wants to go back and play a uh, revised version of Derm, D Doom 2 or something, and, and uh, they go and they, and they pull back all those old weapons and they even put them into a new, you know, a new version or new Doom. You can use your old weapons or something. Yeah. It, yeah. I can see, I mean, I can see a lot of fun, even just for the nostalgia of going back and, and you know, grabbing some assets from some of your favorite games 10 or 15 years ago. Down the road, it might be fun to go back and, and pull old assets off the blockchain and, and utilize them, so. Or display them, like have a shelf, a virtual shelf, all your old war trophies from all <laughs> yeah. those battles. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I've been, I just started uh, playing VR recently because uh, it's just getting so so cool and uh you have i have a i don't know if you've played or not but 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 your home you have basically a home like a house where you have furniture and all your all your stuff but uh in and um it's you can arrange it and put new things in there and it's actually more interesting than i would have expected i you know thinking about it for at first i was like i don't care what my house looks like or what's in it but uh, once you start playing VR, it's like, no, I want to, you know, I want a different couch in here. I want like a fish tank. You know, you all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, you actually start, you know, wanting stuff in your little, you know, in your little, in your avatar house. So, um, so yeah, I could see grabbing a bunch of old stuff and putting putting it up in in a, in a virtual reality house for sure. That'd be really cool. So, um, wow. Yeah, so I think uh, this this level four where we're at right now is, is a really important thing for people to think about whether we want to just kind of cede the control to video game uh, developers like we have in the past because I mean essentially to me it seems like we're not that it, we're not that far past level one I mean we are kind of at level we can just almost revert back to level one here if um, if if there doesn't become some sort of um, simple assets type of standard yeah, the, the difference between one and three is less than people think. It's transparency, mm -hmm. mostly. Yeah. Transparency, not just of the current ownership, but of the whole history of ownership. And that's, a, that's significant. It's not as much as people think, but it's significant. And again, for a lot of games that want to self-deploy, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Especially now, especially games, maybe they want to, you know, they want to have a viable business. Maybe they want to whitelist marketplaces so they get a cut of all the transfers. Totally fine. I take no issue with, with companies or developers doing that. I just think the community should understand the certainty with which ownership of digital assets is expressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now it seems that, uh, you know, from what I've picked up, it, it seems that um, the the game developers on their end are seeing, oh, this is a really cool tool, which it is, and they're, they're implementing it uh, from, from kind of the developer standpoint. 
but without the thought of bigger picture, the, the big community. Um, and so it is, it is a, um, important the community understands what, what's kind of on the line right now. Like the difference between full transparency and uh, a cool tool for developers to use to put things on the blockchain. Um, but, that, but that full transparency is, is, an, important, is an important thing. Um, and it opens up, and it takes it takes some altruism on the end of the developers. You know, it it's not it, there's not a huge benefit for them to um, deploy everything uh, outside of their control. You know, there's not a huge benefit there. They they kind of have to do that because for the good of uh, yeah the the yeah. system in general. They may have to reimagine the business plan of their game, which is no small thing. You know, if you've taken, you know, a few million in investments, you're, you're under a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you, um, where, so it does, you know, that, that is one of the issues is it removes kind of a revenue stream for a possible revenue stream for some of these, uh, gaming companies. Where do you see, do you see any creative revenue streams popping up because of you know, that are a, a bonus that come along with something like simple assets? Uh, well, it would have to matter. So like the, they would have to, it would have to be worth something to say that the ownership authority of this game's assets is this multi-sig or that multi-sig. I don't think that will be the only one. Um, so if that matters, if people care enough, then games will do that and they'll make money by issuing assets. Remember, it's no small thing to issue assets. They just can't get a cut of all the trades. Mm -hmm. So, or selling starter packs, which might happen soon. Well, yeah, if there's this, if there's this general understanding in the community that um, one asset issued is going to be there forever and, you know, it is resilient in the same way that something like EOS or Bitcoin is, then there should be an inherent value with that. If there's the understanding in the community that another asset is, uh, you know, going to be controlled down the road by, you know, it's going to uh, basically hinge on a game company surviving forever. Um, then that should have a different asset that should have a different value in people's mind in the same way that, um, you know, cryptocurrency does or doesn't have value. Um, so, so I think maybe getting just, just people being educated enough to understand the difference uh, will, because if, if a game company is wanting to issue and sell assets, they should be worth more if they are open source and will survive forever, basically. So. Well, thank you for helping us get the word out. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, did you guys have anything else to kind of add here or uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about as far as uh, crypto lines goes and what you guys are working on? Or is it all uh, simple assets? Oh, it's, this isn't even close to everything, <laughs> but, uh, but maybe for now, Maybe for now, uh, for now it's enough. Uh, simple assets, we let you, and this, since February, it's been working. Renting assets, we designate part of the asset that the author can modify and the part of it that's frozen forever. Um, you, we do offer claims, so instead of transferring, we, you can offer it. That doesn't seem like a big difference, but it changes whose memory gets used, so it is a big deal. Uh, if you're careless, you can end up using a lot of your own memory. Uh, we do batch processing, so you could send a whole bunch of assets at the same time. We introduced event notifications so that authors get to know what happens to their assets when they're outside of their control. That's really cool for developers. 
Uh, and would that, how would that play? What, how would that feature be used? Um, if you use DevRed transaction and when action is created, the author is uh, notificated by this DevRed transaction uh, just in the next block. So it's almost immediately. It, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't easy to implement. We tried three different ways technically to do it. Why might that be used? I don't know. I think a game might want to know if assets have been transferred um, or, or burned or anything else. I'm sure there are use cases. I don't know what they are. I want, I want other people to, to bring their creativity and, uh, and show me what those use cases are. Yeah, and today we introduced containerizing, putting, you could have an asset wallet filled with fungible tokens or non-fungible tokens. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's so much fun. We think it's fun. We hope other people think it's fun as well and, and build cool stuff. You know, an interesting just just brainstorming about being notified. Uh, you know, say there was like a hundred swords in a game, uh, some art role playing game, uh, but you could break swords. And so, uh, you know, as as people use and break these kind of rare swords, maybe you you get a notification that one of these swords has disappeared from the ecosystem. Now you have one of ninety nine, um, and that could be there could be some kind of interesting gaming um, a gameplay there of of like how long people use swords, but keep them intact as well. And they can kind of gain value if a, you know, if a sword is, yeah, yeah. you know, been used for, for two years and hasn't been broken, there's only three of them left. Um, there's, there's some interesting dynamics there of keeping track of things on the blockchain. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Or put the history of an item. Like this item was used in this famous battle. Mm -hmm. Like the game Eve, I re when we were doing simple assets, I researched a lot of games that have prominent economies, and one of the biggest ones, which I'd never heard of before, surprisingly, is Eve, sort of a space exploration game. Like they have their own history. They know that the second biggest battle in the 15-year history of the game happened in 2014. Over over a hundred thousand dollars of in-game items were destroyed during that battle. No kidding. And then they had the biggest battle fairly recently, the biggest ever with like thousands of players and their ships that they spent years and years building. So, uh, so yeah, like tracking a ship that played a crucial role in a key battle, really cool functionality. Eve, by the way, pulls this all off without blockchain. So it, just the reputation of the company is enough to support this many hundred thousand, maybe million dollar asset marketplace which is why we don't necessarily need level four, but I want the community to understand the difference of who controls ownership. Because mm -hmm. not all game companies have that kind of reputation. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives, and it gives, um, it'll give players the, the confidence to, to play, let's say newer games. Let's say there's a cool game, but it doesn't have the reputation that Eve has. Uh, you know, before, before people are, are, comfortable putting that much into something like Eve, I'm sure that it has to, there's some sort of network effect where it's been around long enough and it's got enough people playing where now all of a sudden people trust it. Uh, whereas a new game could come out and if it's, if it was using simple assets, then you just know you can, you can, you can kind of trust it off from earlier, let's say. So, um, yeah, so go ahead. You, did you have a couple other things uh, as far as simple assets? I think you were about to go on to, to one more thing before I uh, interrupted you with that. Uh, Thing there uh, I think that's most of it we delegate functionality where you could rent assets 
But yeah, it's still early. I guess the general message is just check out the GitHub, check out our Telegram. Yeah, we're trying to create a lot of examples to, to show how to use it easily. We created yeah. some small, simple game, a color box game, which uh, use simple assets and like this small breeding game uh, when you can breed own color box. It will okay. be simple, non-fungible token also, and then sell it on the market. Did you say a, uh, where you can breed what? What we? Um, there's a there's a East European version of the gingerbread man fairy tale. Okay, okay. It's called Cola Book. So we made an example game to we made a we put a lot of effort into documentation to help developers, and part of that effort was making an example game that issues assets, assets interact, and it's a breeding game, kind of a Crypto Kitties clone with its own little nuances. Cool. I mean, those, those things actually <laughs> take off surprisingly sometimes when people, you know, again, gain some, gain some interest, those things take off. I mean, CryptoKitties was a phenomenon. So, um, yeah, cool. Um, uh, so you mentioned rent, renting, um, renting assets. Is that, that, are you talking about renting down the, the line, like renting a, a good weapon or renting things uh, just for a few games and then get returning them to the owner? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so that, that functionality has been there. Chintai, as you can imagine, was thrilled to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what Simple Assets does is just you delegate the item to somebody for you can guarantee a period of time if you'd like, and then it returns to you and it, it just manages all that. Chintai can add economics to this and make like a market for borrowing and, and different rates and, and stuff like that. Wow, wow. Man, I just the 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 amount of ideas that <laughs> that are possible here again that that blurring the line between the digital world and, and the real world of of not only being able to just kind of create assets out of thin air whatever you would like but then able, being able to rent them or or you know loan them out even to people is just so cool so cool. Yeah. Um, well, fantastic. I, I appreciate you guys coming on the show and I think that uh, this will give people a better understanding of the difference, you know, the four levels of digital assets. We're at level three and uh, why level four is so important. Um, again, level four, the ownership and functionality is expressed entirely outside of the control of the content creator. Uh, level four is important and that's, and that's where we're at. So um, appreciate you guys coming on the show and talking about that and I'll link the um, your article, it's called Digital Assets, We Need to Think About Ownership Authority. Uh, your Medium article, I'll link that in the show notes. So if anyone wants to read up on, on what we talked about here, um, they can do that. Uh, did uh, Bodan or Roman, do you guys have closing thoughts here for us? Thank you for all that you do for the community. We're big fans. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you guys as well. Um, you guys are doing big things over there. Uh, on my end, the EOS podcast, uh, I have the uh, Mr. Happy Money proxy. If you're looking to vote for proxy, uh, a block producers through a proxy, I vote for Crypto Lions because they're one of the teams that are doing big projects like this that are really important to the community. So uh, my vote goes for Crypto Lions and other block producers that are transparent empowering the community and building together. I think you guys are a great example of all three of those um, things that my proxy votes for. As far as, you know, the empowerment is giving these tools to the community to um, 
so for just for the good of the community uh, i think that's i think that's fantastic so thank you guys for that um and that's the show today my eos podcast friends so cheers until next time and great having you on Bowden, and great having you on roman cheers thank you bye bye the money is not the prime asset in life time is and uh, your time is just the prime.